Third period of play now nicely underway here. The beautiful Uptown Studios. Sports at 650. Fairview Slopes, beautiful downtown Vancouver. Uptown, downtown. As close to downtown as you can get without being downtown. I'm Brooke Ward. Josh Elliott Wolf is here. A-Dog, Laddie. Doing the damage here. Sat in just a second. In the inbox. God, I assume. God, this guy sucks on the radio. I don't miss him one bit. There's got to be somebody else available to fill in. That's from Mike Halford. <laughs> uh, anyway, keep them coming. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Three stores to serve you. Ladner, Bridge Street. The Express, Ladner Center, Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Sat is with us. Busy day for the man who's going to be on the pregame show, the postgame show, and now he's on the pre-pre-pregame show. Hi, Sat. How you doing? Doing well, guys. How you guys doing? Good, man. I think this is the first time I've ever... Done a, I mean, I've worked with you at 1040 before, yes. but this official interview is a, it means a lot to me, man. Thanks for coming on this morning. No, of course. I mean, I remember the days where, you know, producing shows for you, running over papers, running over guests, you, you know, it's, it's been quite, quite the journey in the industry. Well, you running up and having to, uh, you know, give prep to bro Jake and Pratt and all those days. <laughs> Back and forth. Times. Back and yeah, forth. A good time. Okay, speaking of good times, I got to get this in. Like, I'm on this. The post-game show. I know I'm driving people mm-hmm. nuts, but now I got you here. You're the you're the host of the post-game show. It's sponsored by The Five. I just think it should be on location at The Five. And I think that's a great idea that you guys should really look into. Sometimes it's a hassle being on location sometimes, but I think that's a natch. So I think you should take yep. that into your next meetings. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where um, – I think from a professional standpoint and from uh, a um, it's noisy there standpoint, that'd be a great idea. Yeah. But but the only thing is, you know, when you're in a relationship, you know, trying to trying to talk about, you know, that we're doing the pregame show from there might be a bit oh. of a, a bit of a leap. But that's where you could go in and say, but honest, dear, I it's part of my job. They're making me right. go They're pregame and right. postgame. They'll turn the music down for you guys. You get a big crowd in there. You can even stay, watch the game on the big screen if you want. I think you really should rethink this. I think it'd be yeah, good. I think thing. I mentioned limiting distractions when we're going to be there or something. I don't know. I don't know, man. There could be things to think of the crowd that'll join. That'll be just be great. Just try not to get, uh, you know, get soaked by the shower. That's what you want to avoid. Uh, your Canucks and your Philadelphia Flyers tonight. Uh, as you look forward to this one, uh, two teams that are on a roll. What are you th- expecting from this hockey game tonight? What are you expecting from the Canucks? Well, I'm at a point now where I'm I'm expecting professional performances. Like we've seen enough games now where they come back from a road trip, the last game of a road trip, and the usual letdown spots, they've typically done a really good job of not letting down. And with that being the case, and despite the fact that they've had a few days to fatten up over Christmas and spend time with their families, the fact they got us practicing yesterday and the overall mindset, and hey, maybe they proved me wrong, but I'm going in with the expectation that they're going to have a professional, strong game, and they're going to have it in the back of their minds that the last time they played these Flyers team, this Flyers team, they absolutely made them look like the inferior squad, despite the fact they have uh, vastly more talent than the Flyers do. So based on everything they've shown us and the credit they've built up with how I'm evaluating them, I'm expecting them to show up and, and play a strong game here tonight. It does feel like, because uh, you mentioned it the last time they played, like the, the Canucks haven't had a lot of embarrassing games, but that was an mm-hmm. embarrassing game. It does feel like like this is a moment where you have something to prove. Philly is also good, to, well, good to an extent, 2-7-1-2 and two in the last 10 games. Like it's a good, it's not a huge prove-it game, but you kind of want to show that uh, last time was just a fluke. 
Well, and they work hard, right? And I mean, and you're right. It was probably the worst game the Canucks played, and definitely the game, definitely the game. The head coach um, was the most, let's say, um, heated after a game where he essentially called them soft and he talked about, you know, how that's not a game, that's not a professional type of performance. So I'm expecting them obviously to have that in the back of their mind. But you're right about the Flyers. They lack talent, obviously, but they don't lack work ethic. And if you show up, you know, being at 75% or 80% of your work level, they're going to outwork you. Like, you have to show up and be ready to outwork them every single shift. And if you do, like, there are ways to expose them. And every time I watch the Flyers, I'm just amazed by how incredibly hard they forecheck, but how aggressive they are. So if you're playing on your toes and you're able to beat that forecheck, I think you're going to get some chances going the other way. I mean, that's one of the Achilles heels they have. But they just have it in their favor that pretty much every single game, they're outworking their opponent. So, like, it's a simple one. Like, for me, the game plan, I don't think needs to be overly complex, talking about matching up here or, or trying to do something spe- spectacular on the breakout or even the forecheck. It's simply coming away with pucks against these guys because they're going to hound you in every single corner. So uh, Canucks still sit atop the league at the moment, tied with the Rangers, but Rangers have game in hand. Um, What do you think the priority is? Because we're kind of getting to the point in the season where it's clear they're going to make the playoffs. It's more about positioning. Mm -hmm. What do you think the priority is in terms of what they need to work on as a team as they head into the playoffs here? Well, you know, I'd still say, um, I know it's funny to talk about because they've been so good offensively it's more about can, can they generate a bit more in terms of chance quality and that will be something that's solid for you heading into the playoffs but more than anything that that pk has to really turn a corner and and i do think that they've shown some signs the past seven eight games i think they've been clicking you know well over 80 percent and they're showing signs of turning things around they have the personnel to be you know a top 15 pk unit being a top half of the league and if that pk can really hone in and they can really start getting themselves into the top half of the league and, and trend in the right direction heading into the postseason, then I think it's going to be really difficult to beat this team. If their power play is going, you got good goaltending, you have a strong PK, and you play a safe five-on-five game, that's going to make you very difficult to beat. The thing you don't want to have is doing everything right, essentially, and then having the PK be your Achilles heel. But I see no reason from a personnel standpoint that the PK should struggle as much as it has at times this season. But if they can shore that up and really get on a run, I think this team will be held to play against. They're improving five-on-five, but among that is Garland, Joshua, and Bluger scoring a bunch of five-on-five goals as well. What are you seeing five-on-five from them? And that maybe was one of the things people were pointing at earlier this year, Sat, that they were living on their power play. Well, I think five-on-five from that line specifically, I think they're able to actually generate a lot of quality scoring chances. I think it's interesting when, if you look at some of the data, five-on-five for that line, and you go back from Garland even earlier in the season, you'll see a lot of similar, um, like, Corsi numbers, so to speak. The shot differential, the scoring chance differentials are somewhat similar. But if you actually, you know, go back and watch the chances they were generating versus what they're generating now – it's night and day. I mean, Garland's completely turned around. He's turning his offensive zone entries at puck possession into quality scoring chances now. And a lot of that comes down to um, his teammates being really solid, especially Bluger down the middle and how well Dakota Joshua's played off the wall. And they're able to generate offense from the wall to the middle of the ice and in transition by being really strong along the walls on their exits as well. So they're playing the system to perfection and they're able to generate some creative scoring chances coming out of it. And I do think it's, it's been a big switch, especially with how Garland plays. Like, instead of just looking to get the puck across the blue line and then getting a shot on goal, he's done a really good job of setting up the play and, and inviting pressure and then offloading the puck to players in open space. I've been really impressed with how he's really taken true ownership of that line and not just being somebody who's just throwing shots on goal. So I think they're doing essentially what the coach wants the other lines to do, especially the top six, in terms of generating chances 
and creativity off the way they play within their structure. And I think that's been the thing that I'm sure is showing on video to the other guys saying, hey, if we play to our structure and we play to where we need to be and we're winning along the walls, like look at the chances you can generate, not only from your own end going into the offensive zone, but also if you're winning along the walls, especially the half walls. In the offensive zone, you're able to also generate offense to the middle. And I think those are the things they're doing really well. And if the rest of those lines can kind of, you know, bottle some of that up, then they're going to be even more difficult to play against five on five. Yeah, those goals they've scored too have been difference makers ultimately, even when you're Mm -hmm. tallying up the score at the end of the game. Not like they've just been nothing goals. So these guys have have chipped in when the other guys haven't been – haven't been going, so uh, if that is a case, haven't been going. I was asking people the other day, Sat, uh, unsung hero for the Canucks. Who's your unsung hero for Vancouver? And many people have gone to that line of Garland, Joshua, and Bluger. And I originally thought Casey DeSmith, yet he mm-hmm. is get, getting lots of praise. I've now gone the Bluger way, who just seems to keep showing up here and there in positive ways. With respect to Lafferty, too, who I've quite enjoyed. But mm-hmm. I think Blue, if I had to pick one, I think I'm going Bluger for Unsung Hero. You don't hear a lot about him. Very effective. Who'd be on your list? Yeah, I think he's very high on my list. I mean, not only is he playing well defensively, he's generating offense. I mean, it's not just, you know, he's not just, you know, piggybacking off Garland and Joshua. I mean, let's look at that feed he made, uh, you know, on, on the two-on-one chance, getting in low and then sweeping it across. Like, he's making some really high-skill plays. So he's completely full value for the offense he's generating. I'll go off the board a little bit because I'm thinking real unsung. And you're right, uh, Bluger fits up there, but we talked a lot about Bluger and Suter recently and obviously that line, too, with Garland and Joshua with Bluger. But I'll go on the blue line, and I'll mention Ian Cole. We haven't talked about him a lot recently, but he's been really good defensively. And I know he takes a penalty from time to time, but considering he's playing with Noah Juleson and considering how their games come, come along and how he's been a steadying influence on the back end, especially with Philip Peronic and Quinn Hughes at times not being at their best and Zadorov and, and Myers still trying to find that chemistry. I think quietly Ian Cole has been their most dependable defensive defenseman so far. And especially with how he's able to been able to generate some chemistry playing with Noah Juleson. We give the head coaches a lot of credit, especially the D coaches with what they've done with uh, Noah Juleson to get him to a level where he's more than passable, at least playing as a sixth defenseman. But I think a lot of that credit also has to go with Ian Cole and how he's worked with them and how that partnership's really been able to turn a corner and, and make them into a real steady D pair. So I'll go off the board and, and say Ian Cole. Another thing we were kind of throwing around yesterday uh, on the show, and uh, I'll run it by here in because uh, I miss you. I miss Canuck Central. I miss you. Um, <laughs> is uh, I'll, th- I'll throw you an overrated underrated. Uh, so overrated underrated, the Canucks adding a top six forward at the deadline instead of a top four defenseman. What do you think the priority should be if you could only add one? Ooh. So I'll say underrated to go after the top six forward over the t- top four defensemen um, and that's not to say that I don't value top four D-men I just think it's gonna be really difficult for you to find the type of top four D-men you need and they'll have to ship somebody out of the back end but I think if they're able to add that type of gritty top six forward that can play in, in their top six I mean we start looking at their decor any other decor is, is good it's not the best in the league but once you start going we've done this exercise Josh as you know on Canuck Central once you start going through uh, all the decors in the Western Conference, it's hard to not have Vancouver as a top five defense, right? So it's like, okay, you know, they're not perfect, but they're still significantly better. And the forward group's really strong too. But I do think when you compare even their forward group to a team like Dallas and even a team like Vegas, if you add one more forward that can really get in on the forecheck, be dependable as a two-way player, but also give you a little bit of offense, 
then I think there's going to be no issues at all with their top six. And you have a third line going the way it's going. You have a fourth line that's dependable. I think if you add a top six forward, uh, I think it'll make a bigger difference than perhaps we would imagine. The comparable I was kind of bringing up yesterday, and and maybe it's not this guy specific. Well, it's not this guy specifically, but they kind of need a Tyler Toffoli-esque trade, I think, where Mm -hmm. you bring in a – maybe it's a winger, maybe it's a center, whoever, and then you can move Miller to wing if you want. But something like that where it's a clear big move that shows that you're – uh, serious about being competitive this year. I think when they made the Toffoli trade, it was maybe poorly timed in that. But this is maybe an opportunity where you can make a trade like that and have it actually be something that does get the team going and, and does make sense for the team. Well, a trade that shows some real intent, right? And I think that would be uh, something along those lines. The only question I have is, are they willing to make that type of a move where they're moving a second and a prospect for somebody who's a rental or would they prefer to try to add somebody that, you know, can, can stay there longer term. And I think if they're moving seconds and everything, I still think they would like to shift some assets around and how else do you, are you able to generate an extra pick here and there? Can you move somebody off the roster to get that? That would allow you to then go and get a forward. I think that's maybe what they would have to do to go after a rental where they feel like, okay, we're not just, you know, giving away future assets. We're shifting assets to be able to get somebody to help us. I wonder if there's still, trying or at least looking to find somebody that they can have under control for a couple years. And I don't think it has to be somebody who's under contract for three to four years. It could simply be a guy that has two years of control. Cause that was interesting when uh, they made a Philip Hironic trade and the Canucks gave up a first round pick and a second round pick to get him. Um, the coach, I mean, Patrick Alvin mentioned, yeah, we have two years of control. And after that, obviously we'll see where it goes, but he clearly valued having those two years so I think it would have to be somebody that has another year of control despite uh, alongside of the playoff run you have this year. Really enjoying how the Canucks are playing, Sat, but just because you throw the two years of control out there and I'm kind of taking it in a different direction, I'm looking at right now, this is a two-year window for Vancouver because some people have said, well, so much for the rebuild or the retooling or, or check that, so much for the rebuild, see, retooling worked. And I'm saying, well, short term, I don't know long term yet, because right now your retooling has got you into the, uh, you know, one of the top 10 teams, I'll say, in the National Hockey League, despite where they are in the standings. But two years from now, uh, OEL money really starts kicking in. And I know the cap's going to go up, but I mean, how much? The OEL money kicks in. Pedersen needs a raise. Besser's going to be looking at a new deal should you keep him. Or can you hang on to Heronic? I mean, all the I'm telling people enjoy the moment because you don't know where you're going to be in two years. And for the Canucks, this doesn't happen every day. Well, I think I think you're right in terms of if you're looking at a window with this current core and if you want Brock Besser to be along for the ride and, and you want all these guys to be here, then yes, it is this year and then next season. But I, I do think the window could be longer in terms of competitiveness, but you would have to make more drastic moves. I and mean, I don't think it's a future that can contain a Brock Besser and you keep adding to this roster, or even a Connor Garland, for instance, who's finding a real good fit there on the third line. So I think once you get past this year and next year, if you want the window to extend, and I think it's possible, you have to make some real hard decisions and you have to make some pretty significant changes to the roster and, and shift things around mm-hmm. around your top four core players. So I do agree that this year and next year, in terms of this current core, that might be the window. It, and there is something to be said about how many years of the next four or five are you going to have where JT Miller could be in the Art Ross conversation, where Quinn Hughes could be in the Norris discussion, where um, 
Thatcher Demko could be in the Vesna discussion, where you have a head coach who's got the collective buy-in that has him in the Jack Adams discussion. And I think when you have those things rolling in your favor, and Brooke, I know you've covered the game along, you've seen you know, how hard it is for a team to be running as well as it is this year, you may feel like you have an obligation to take advantage of it. And that's one thing to always keep in mind of is, do they view that we're playing so well as a team this year mm-hmm. that if we're not taking advantage of this current window, we may not have another one that's as good. Well, you've got Rutherford and Alvin maybe up for awards too as well. So yeah. many guys from top to bottom through management too, people are having career years with the Vancouver Canucks. You do have to take advantage of these openings when you get them. And I'm not saying that two years from now, these guys, because they've done such a great job, can't tweak this and make this work. But I don't want to be sitting here in two two years because people now, many are saying, you see, we didn't need to rebuild. We retooled. I don't want to be two, three years from now going, you know, we should have rebuilt, but you had that 101-point blip like you had in 2014 or whatever it was when Trevor and Jim Benning first got here. So I keep an eye on it. But then uh, maybe I'm not as optimistic as everybody. But I, that's that's me. It's like, go for it now, but see what happens in two years because you never know where you're going to be. Well, they have to sustain this one way or another, right? I mean, we, we've seen enough false starts here over the past decade. And, you know, the, the, there was the um, mirage in the Oasis, which was the 101-point year, the final, um, you know, the first year of the regime. And after that, it was all downhill. And then they had the, hey, maybe this new core is onto something during the bubble playoffs. And then obviously they had the rug pulled from under them. And the next thing you know, uh, they're back into this, you know, treading water for a few years until they're at this point. So this can't be like another uh, blip, like you mentioned, and the next year you go back to being a bubble team again. Like, I, I think what they would have, and I wouldn't be surprised, guys, for as much as, yes, I mean, Brock is here and all these guys are having success with, but I, I think they're very calculated. And I think they can be pretty cold with their assessments. And it wouldn't just surprise me, even if they have a decent playoff run, that they get into the offseason and all of a sudden feel like, hey, you know, some of these guys that we had real trouble moving a year ago now all of a sudden have value, and they may allow us to go and get some things we were looking at before. So it wouldn't shock me that they ride this wave this year, but then they still make some pretty tough decisions this offseason that has a roster looking considerably different. Because for as much as I think they believe in the team and I like the core, I, I do think they, they like to wheel and deal more than anybody, and they're not really beholden to any one player on the team outside of perhaps Quinn Hughes, of course, Demko, and Pedersen. It does feel like as a as a collective fan base, Canucks fans are still trying to shake the like last management's mindset where it was like, oh man, a, a player is doing well right before they need a contract. Like Brock Besser, for example. Mm-hmm. And fans would be like, oh man, he's he's going to get overpaid to stay here and, and they're going to get sold on him and, and really commit to him. But it does feel like this management group is... Uh, maybe smarter isn't the better word, but is is more aware of what's going on and, and where a player's value is is really at long-term when they're making these decisions. Well, I also don't think they're afraid of, you know, and Rutherford himself mentioned this, but I don't think they're afraid of being wrong and they're not afraid of making a big call. I mean, if this was a previous regime, uh, what are the chances that this team still has Bo Horvat and J.T. Miller on the roster this year. I think, you know, I mean, convincing the owner perhaps might be the thing in terms of handing out two massive contracts like that. But if they were able to, I, I think that it would have been easier for them to go out and just pay a little extra to keep their guys as opposed to making that big trade where you're moving a Bo Horvat or you're moving a J.T. Miller. And these guys came in and they traded the captain and they had no issues in doing so. 
And and I do think they are far more calculated in that regard. But the betting PTSD for the fan base is obviously going to be there until this team has true success. And it's one thing to have some play, you know regular season success. I think it comes down to okay, what do you look like in the postseason? And to what Brooke was mentioning, where and I think you know Brooke is also voicing um, the skepticism a lot of fans have about okay, this is great, but what does it mean next year? What does it mean for the future? And sometimes we have to enjoy the moment. But when you've had you know these false starts over the past decade at times. It's sometimes difficult to you know be on stable footing and feel like okay they can carry this over, but I, but I would say that this management team is far more willing to make those tough decisions and live with whatever may come from them than the previous one did, and that should give people confidence that they're not going to get fooled by any sort of mirage here. And if there is a player that by the end of the season is riding up. 25, 30% shooting percentage and had a career goal scoring year that maybe they wouldn't be afraid of doing something. Now they kept Andre Kuzmenko last year. So how's that going to inform their decision on a player riding percentages this year, where they're going to be more calculated perhaps. And what if, you know, Brock finishes with 45 goals and is looking at an eight or $9 million contract, then is that a guy they keep or do they feel like they, they can move him then? And if you go back to the previous regime, you would imagine they would be doing everything they can to keep them. This team, I think they would also very much consider, can we sell high on a guy to go and do the things we need to do to sustain this winning for another three to four years? Tough break on uh, getting the one day you have to work being the Browns game too, hey? How, how are you feeling oh. about Joe Flacco right now? I feel fantastic, man. Have you not seen the way he's dealing? It's been unreal. It's been, been fantastic. I mean, I, like, I, I'm at a point now, and uh, I was out, out for dinner with some friends last night, and we were talking about the Browns, and I'm like, you know what? Like, they might be able to pull it off. Their, their, their defense is championship caliber. Joe Flacco's playing as well as any quarterback is right now. Uh, we've seen uh, the only team in the AFC that scares me is the Baltimore Ravens, and the only team in the NFC that really scares me is the 49ers. And the Browns beat the 49ers with, P, with P.J. Walker as their quarterback um, a few weeks back. So I feel great, and, and maybe I'm, um, um, I'm, I'm way too high on the hopium with the Browns, but right now I'm feeling way too good about them. Hey, buddy. Shat, when are you on next today? Uh, I'll be on at 4 o'clock, I believe. 4 o'clock. Oh, You're on at 5. Yeah, don't come in early. Five. You're on 5, five o'clock, yeah. setting the table yeah. for the hockey game, and then post-game and the intermissions, and you'll be on TV, you'll just be, and then you'll be at the 5 for the post-game show later, so that kind of tidy bow around the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we'll, we'll go that far, but Think about it. a busy day. But yeah. Well, you can go there after the show. That's okay. They're open late. Anyway, oh, yeah. thanks, yeah. man. You know that. You'll see Pratt yeah. there. You'll see Pratt there. It'll be great. Uh, thanks, Sat. Yeah. Appreciate it, pal. Great stuff, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sat's back at 5 o'clock today. He's here all day. You'll see him on TV tonight. He's the good-looking one. Uh, anyway, what we learned is coming up next. See, we can get your submissions in. A few people in, are in early already. 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumber text line. My mind, when you look at the management of the Canucks, I have way more confidence in the current management of the Canucks than I did of the previous guys when it comes to trying to make this a long-term thing. And the biggest thing to me that happened to Canucks this year to allow their success was Rutherford convincing Aquilini to buy out OEL. That freed up money this year that they're going to have to pay down the line. That's why I'm saying a couple of years now that can hurt. But this year they paid peanuts on that and they were able to go out their Bluegers and their Lafferty's and their backup goalies and here and there and uh, jigsaw the puzzle together. And that has helped Vancouver get to the top of the league right now. Good on Jim Rutherford. What we learn, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. That's next. This is Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now 
for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. That's Andy Cole. They call him A Dog. We got a laddie. I call him Greg Dog. Please, oh, God, that's no. a new one. Please, 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 God, no. We got a Josh Elliott Wolf. Oh, Lord. There's a hyphen after Elliott. There is. I think the hyphen should be after Josh. But I didn't do the birth certificate. Are we still on the air? What sadly. we learned, what we learned. Sadly is right. What we learned, what we learned. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's kind of quiet. I tell you, it's a little quiet right now, the what we learned. And frankly, I'm not so sure all the submissions are up to quality. Oh, my goodness. Not up to the quality Called of my out. voice that I just sang with. I mean, and so I'm telling you, if they're not, they're not all. Some are. But they're not all up to the quality of my singing voice. So that ought to tell you a story right there. But hit me. With your best shot, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, three stores to serve you. Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express, the Ladner Center. Or if you've got more time, you go to the flagship station, Arbutus in Vancouver, online, DunbarLumber.com. What we learned is almost on the rails here. Yeah, what we learned is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. What I've- oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! Got to play that. I blew it. Sorry, man. No, you didn't blow it. It's, it's only my second. I did. <laughs> I walked over it. Sorry. It's only my second day. It's only the most important drop on the show. It's only important. Can you do it again for me? Oh, my God. We're having a fire. I I blew it again. I walked over over the back of it. The plan is the best part. Yeah, you you can't talk over Lenny. You want to do that one more time, or should we wait till tomorrow? I think we got the gist. Okay, I didn't get a gist. I just walked (laughs) over the front end of it, then I walked over the bad. This is 43 years of radio experience, folks. Thanks for having us. What I learned is most people would take a Stanley Cup this year for the Canucks if it meant for the next 50 years there would be no second Stanley Cup for the Canucks. That's what I learned, and I don't really know if I needed to learn it, Josh, because that's what I was saying. I take that cup. I feel like the vast majority is on board with it. Um, there was there was the lonely few who disagreed, and to uh, to Andy's point, like if, if the Canucks had had one in, let's say, the last couple decades, then I think people would be more willing to be like, you know what, I'll take my chances with the 50 years. It's fine. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but there's a chance you get more than one in that 50 years. But since they haven't gotten one in 54 years, you're probably just going to take the one. I would take the one. That's what I learned. What have you learned? I have learned that uh, it's time for Jonathan Lekaramaki to put out at the World Juniors. I said, pardon? <laughs> so, a better way to phrase that. No, That's on the highlight how- reel tomorrow. So, this is this is what I've been thinking about with the World Juniors in relation to how many times he's played in the tournament. And I, I consider each tournament like a date. The first tournament you're at, it's your first date. You're trying to ease your way into it. You didn't get that many points. He, he, he was a little slow, but he was getting comfortable with the surroundings, you know? Three assists, seven games, that's fine. Second tournament... 
a lot of guys, that's when they'll that's when they'll uh, really commit and start to put out and uh, get the production. Last year, but it's okay. It's okay to take it slow too. Last year, he got four points in seven games. That's fine. This year, third date. We all know what happens. It's time. It's time to go. And so far, he's got two goals in one game. He's playing again in an hour. I think this is the year where uh, it's time for Lecker and wow. to really uh, get some production. Three dates. You move quickly. What? I think third is uh, three dates. And currently, he wants, wants him to put out. What else is there to know about the other person after three dates? After three right? dates, do you think he will? It's the general rule, right? Three dates. But will he? Is my question. I, I think so. I think he's uh, just a turning point for he's him. He's gotten comfortable. The Sportsnet turning point for this him. The Sportsnet turning point. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this is the time where you're in your third tournament. Last year, you kind of had the, the injury troubles too, but this year, or maybe not injury, it was mono last year, right? But this year is uh, he's playing healthy. He's been good in Sweden, and I think it's uh, it's time for him to really show what he can be for the Vancouver Canucks. It's time to fish or cut bait, basically. Now, for- now Brooke, we got a moo cow. I don't know if you've uh, been yeah. familiar with this, but after after the what we learns are what we learns. We, Everyone, we, we well ours that okay. we bring to the show. We mine break mine them up. included. Yours included. We oh. didn't moo cow you, but mm. I will moo cow Josh. Right okay. Now. Why do uh, I, I know we've done the moo cow, the cow moo before? But I mean, just because because we're moving on to the next. Oh. And, then, and now we have to print out the listeners. Well, I was going to do one quickly. Oh, okay. Never move mind. on to the listeners. Uh, there's a couple of goalie what we learns out there right now, so of course I had to handle that. Uh, I don't know if this is worth the breaking news sounder, but Roberto Luongo is back in full goalie gear at Panthers practice this morning. I don't know if this is a comeback of sorts. We heard when he was here in town say with his interview with Murph that he was back playing again and he was on the ice doing some alumni stuff in full goalie gear hmm. while he's out there with the club today. In full gear, Roberto Luongo. It, it, something in the in the water these days, because apparently Nikolai Habibulin as well is making a comeback in Russia in the KHL. He's been signed as a 51 year old. He's been the team's goalie coach up to this point, and I guess they're desperate for a, a backup goalie. They need somebody there waiting in the wings. Who else but Nikolai Habibulin? Mm. Back Bulin wearing the pants. Bulin Wall is back between the pipes. You never know. You never know. So my career, apparently, I've jumped, I'm just getting started at you 33. Got I got like 20 oh, years left here. you still got years. Yeah. Uh, the Luongo thing, I'll assume that they're short of goalie at practice, so Roberto goes in, but uh, just assume. But otherwise, maybe he's just doing it for uh, for kicks. But one thing with Roberto, I'm sure we all notice this, is he's not in game shape anymore, no. shall we say. He's put on a couple. He's not huge, but he's put on a couple, as a lot of athletes do. They work out every day. They stay in shape. And as soon as the career's over, great. I don't have to work out every day anymore. Me, I would continue, frankly, because I don't want to get into the the heavy stage a- after my career either. But you see a lot of the guys that let themselves go. So Roberto just looks like a guy well, now who's not working out as much. A lot of guys also just straight up quit the position, too. Just speaking from a goalie's perspective, a lot of former NHL goalies just give True. it up after. They they either don't like the, in- the lack of intensity of beer league or their bodies are just so beat up that they don't mm-hmm. want to play the position anymore. You so. can stay in shape, though, if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like, so I've seen Roberto. He's seen his face. And yeah, yeah. He's a bigger guy. He's put on a few pounds. Kirk well, McLean always plays out generally if, when he if, plays beer league hockey. Yeah, if you want to get technical, I think a lot of guys struggle with the fact when you're when you're a high athlete, you know, a high octane athlete, you can have a lot of intake. Yeah, you know, your and calorie intake can be a lot higher because you're burning it off doing all that exactly. work. When you retire, some guys don't. They keep the intake. Yeah, you don't understand the balance ah. as much anymore. So I think that's where that comes from. You have to moo now. 
Of course. And now we got to print out the submissions. See, I have the uh, I have the advantage here because I used to cover for this show. Mm-hmm. A weatherman Roy is what they used to call me yeah. on yeah. the show. Did we do this yesterday? I remember the moo cow. Did we print out the submissions? Too? I believe we did. Yeah. I don't know if we moo cowed yesterday. We didn't moo cow yesterday. I let you off the hook for the moo cow. See, yeah. Well, I, I would have forgot it anyway. So. If we don't print the submissions, then we have no submissions. So we got to print into the submissions as I read this too. As we go old school off printed paper, Tommy in Vancouver, East Vancouver, Tommy. Uh, what he's learned, there's always crazy drama throughout Canuck history. He learned yesterday that Gretzky, thanks to Balak and the boys and Andy, was offered 25% of the Canucks ownership back in 1988. Who had that yet nugget yesterday? It was at Andy. That was Andy's yeah. nugget yesterday. And he had audio. Did you still have the audio from that? If you find it. No, I, I don't have it, it on me. Oh, man. Doesn't have it on. Yesterday, we had an audio of Gretzky. Uh, being interviewed, can't remember the show. You Spit probably will. Spitting Spit yeah. checklets, baby. Download Spit. yesterday's podcast on your podcast platforms, yeah. and you could hear it. The For, 30, 30, or sorry, 9.30. We're an hour ahead this week. Always throws me off. 9.30 is when you hear that audio. For and the clip of another pod. Download the podcast. To hear a clip, a clip of another, another pod. Yeah, it's podcastception. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it'd be great. <laughs> and uh, Gretzky has been interviewed, and he said back in 88, before his trade, uh, it might even be before 88, actually, when I think about it, because he never really dated when it was. Nelson Scalbania came up to Gretzky and said, I am buying the Canucks, and I'm going to sign you to the $3 million deal. And Gretzky said, I was making eight hundred grand at the time, so that sounded like a good deal, but he didn't put much into it. No, I'm not going to go with you, Nelson. I don't think the Canucks were for sale anyway, says Brooke here, and the Griffiths owned it. But that was the thing. And he was going to give him 25% of the value of the team, too, which if Nelson Scalbania still... And the Scalvania family still own the Canucks. That'd be a chunk of change for Wayner. Wayner declined the offer. Scalvania, I don't think the Canucks were for sale anyway, but Scalvania, an entrepreneur, was entrepreneuring with Gretzky at that point. Can you imagine, though, there's more than one opportunity for Gretzky to come? That's the third time I've heard there was an opportunity for Gretzky to come to Vancouver. Which is kind of just wild that it uh, that didn't happen if there was so many times where it was close to happening and it, it didn't happen. It's unfortunate. It you is, never would have it thought is what that. It is. Gretzky and Edmonton and all these things and watching him night after night and just score and being Wayne Gretzky. You mm-hmm. just watch him be Wayne Gretzky every night. To ever think that, A, he'd be traded in the first place was unthinkable, but that uh, if it ever happened, he could just move from Alberta into British Columbia and play for the Canucks was like, are you kidding? That Scalbania story is out there. There's another story that the Canucks, via the Griffiths and what, were looking at maybe being involved in the trade or a player in the trade when Gretzky went to Los Angeles ultimately. And then the third time through the hoop was when the Macaws owned the team and they were making a pitch for Wayne Gretzky after he was leaving I guess he went from L.A. to St. Louis to wherever, and he was a UFA. And before he went to the Rangers, the Canucks were in the mix there. But they, uh, uh, McCaw had Pat Quinn pressure Gretzky in the middle of the night. Need a decision now, now, now. And Gretzky said, well, then my decision's no. Well, instead of Gretzky, Canucks fans got the next best thing. You got Don't Messier. Do That's where they went. That's the next best thing, McCaw right? McCaw wanted somebody. Wanted Gretzky, but tried to pressure him. Thought Gretzky was shopping his offer overnight. And Gretzky said, I'll sleep on it, let you know tomorrow. McCaw had Quinn call up in the middle of the night. Nope, a half, sorry, Wayne. I can imagine Pat. Sorry, Wayne, because Pat knew Wayne. Sorry, Wayne, I apologize. My bonehead orders, owners forcing me to call you now. He wants a decision right now. Sorry, Wayne. Well, tell him no. Okay. And then McCaw went out and said, well, we'll get Messier then. Okay, fine. And it was a mess. <laughs> I was going to say, that all worked out, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> uh, what we learned, it's uh, it's impossible to tell when the NHL imposes or lifts roster freezes. Nothing happened before and nothing happened after the roster freeze. That's unsigned. 
So it must be from Gary. Uh, this is also, they say, hashtag fix the hard cap. Fix the hard cap. Fix the hard cap. It's kept some teams going in the NHL, uh, despite the fact that maybe they shouldn't, the hard cap. A lot of teams that are below the cap just basically riding on the cap minimum, and it sure looks like it. Life was a lot more fun when there was no hard cap because trades were happening all over the place. Yeah. It was great. I get the cap world, though. But back in the days, again, when, as an example, I remember clearly more than any, there's trades all over. Every time the Canucks made a deal, Bobby Schmatz to the – uh, Boston Bruins for Chris Odelson and Mike Walton, Sean O'Donnell and all these things. And Schmachi was a 38-goal scorer, and I as a kid was heartbroken by it, but it was big news. But the biggest one was when Phil Esposito got traded from the Boston Bruins to the New York Rangers for Brad Park and John Rattel. And I was like, wow. And I think the Bruins were in Vancouver on a Saturday night that day to play the Canucks, and the trade went down, and Espo left, and suddenly Brad Park and Bobby Orr were on D for, Van- for uh, Boston and Vancouver if I remember it correctly. Those were fun days, but I get the hard cap. I get the hard cap. I do think uh, – I do. I hope we go back to a level of normalcy with moves when uh, the flat cap is no longer a thing and we start to see more regular rises in the salary cap, though the NHL is also just – a lot of management groups are cowards, I think, and just don't want to make moves. And it is what it is, but – it, it would just be more fun. I, I don't think they have to go full NBA and have that many moves, but to see star players involved in more trades is always fun. It's and fun. I think it's good for the league. Too. Oh, yeah. It, it is, as you were, as I cut you off, because it's entertaining and keeps the names of the league and the news, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and there's always a buzz. It's true. That is true. Do I point at you for the dog or the, the cow bar? There's or? no moo. This is the listeners. We give them off the hook. We they don't, don't get the they thing. They don't get moo cow. I'm so they, confused. We want the submission. They get the print at the start. It's just us. Yeah, they get the get moo cow. We get the moo. Thank yeah. goodness. And I'm sure the listener will be on board with me on this. Thank goodness I'm only here for one more day. Uh, what I learned comes from uh, Iron Blair. Okay. Uh, seeing the Canucks at the top of the standings is making me feel like the bizarro world. No one predicted that. Nobody true. did. True. If you had told me, like, hey, they'd be close to the top 10 in the NHL around Christmas time, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. Good job, team. But they are better than that, and that's even better. Well, they've that's added, a lesson we could take away. You get me preseason, and I was saying the Canucks are uh, on the playoff bubble, but I don't think they'll make it. That was before the season started. Jim Rutherford even sat there and said, everything has to go perfectly and no key injuries for us to make it into the playoffs. And they've had no key injuries, save for Susie which is not a key one necessarily, with all due respect, but they haven't had the key injuries. But what has changed is then they added a backup goaltender, and then they added Lafferty. And then they've, they've gone along and added other pieces to the puzzle as we've gone along here and made the, uh, the trade uh, for Zadorov. Vladivostok. Uh, yep. Z- that was a bruff question, by the way. Zadorov. That got that quote from Rutherford. Really? Yeah. Uh, so if everything goes right. They've made changes. Yep. Good job, Jason. And so it's not the same. So you could be sitting back saying, man, I didn't see this coming, and we didn't. But also they've tinkered with the lineup and the roster that even Rutherford said everything had to go perfect for at that point to be a playoff team. And they made great they, – they tinkered well. Yeah, they're good tinkerers. It's, uh, I said it yesterday, I think, but the the amount of moves that have worked out for them is I don't think we've seen it before. In terms of, it's hard to recall a move where they brought in a depth guy that 
didn't work out. I like maybe Curtis Lazar might be one, Anthony Beauvillier. But then they were like, ah, these guys aren't working. Yeah. And they traded them. Move and, them along. And that's kind of a, a good lesson as well. What we learned, um, this one, Kyle the Crow and Canmore, the new bruff has an even drier sense of humor than the old bruff. I don't know who the new bruff is. Which one is I don't new know. bruff? Which one of us is Halford and which is bruff? I think it's Brooke is the new bruff. But Josh is in bruff's chair. Right? Yeah, but Josh well, is doing... I don't know if they're picturing the chairs. Josh no. is doing all the reads, though, which is what Halford does, so I think. Uh, oh, okay. That makes I sense. Think he's, uh, I think he's thinking Brooke. Fair enough. Was that a good thing? The, the comment a good well, thing? Well, they or? said I like it, so. Okay. That's good. Let's go with that. Well, I got I got one for you that's off topic, so I don't know if I get sure. the cow moo again, but <laughs> many things are off topic. But I learned they are doing cold plunge ice bath blind dating in Los Angeles. Sir, How about this that. one? There is a, you know, they have all these dating, blind dating things where, okay, yeah. you meet someone at a restaurant, you don't know them, or they might have 10 or 15 people around and uh, and uh, 10, 10 men, 10 women, or, or whatever's in between, and they all go and they do speed dating around the tables. Mm-hmm. They're doing cold plunge, ice bath, blind dating in Los Angeles, so there's a bathtub that fits two people, and they and there's many of them, so it is like the tables are set around. And it's blind dating. You don't know the person across from you that they put you in the tub with. So you could have person A sitting here facing and touching toes with person B, and you get 15 minutes of a blind date and talk. And then you get out of the tub and you go on to the next one. Two people in a small tub. Dang. Date number one in a tub? Usually for Josh, that's date number three. Wow. Somewhere in there, you're in bikinis. You're not. That's (laughs) That's date two. You're not date two. I was thinking, take it back to my place. Say, no, I got a bathtub. (laughs) Come on. It has ice in it. I just cleaned it. Have you heard about ice bath dating? Now, people, that should be your opening or maybe closing line this weekend at the nightclubs. You should try that maybe. Because if the other person says okay, and then in uh, L.A., they're wearing bikinis. But if you can swing But, Brooke, you still haven't answered my why why ice bath? Why the ice bath? It's just because. It's, it's Is there more a specific of a thing, thing that... Yeah, no, it's just that's what they're doing. I, I bet how they decide, how oh, they decide should, on that. I'll give you the hook, actually, because I might have left the hook out. These are allegedly people who have muscle issues and back stiffness uh, and muscles. Oh, so it's like, there we go. Take that the ice bath. That was crucial that was crucial to the story. Incredibly that crucial that piece of information, <laughs> yeah. which I neglected to mention yeah. to you. It's supposed to, be, it's supposed to be people with muscle pains and whatnot, yeah. but it doesn't have to be. And you go in in your bikinis and you get your Speedo going, you know, and you hop in and you're touching toes and we got we got a dark closet uh, speed dating. Oh, I should mention the people are people are blind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just regular yeah. rooms. Well, if you're blind, it's regular rooms. You wouldn't need a dark closet. Lights could be. All right, I, I got that's work. that's the hook behind this. But, oh, okay, but originally I thought it was what was the uh, the ice bucket plunge right. things whatever. It's it kind of ties into that, but it's okay. supposed to be okay. people with muscle spasms. So when you're when you're hitting on the opposite, One minor uh, crucial piece yeah. of information. When you're hitting on people this weekend and you're thinking I need a new hook. How's your back feeling? Oh, it's so sore. I got an idea for you. Come on back to my place, and we'll do the ice bath dating. That's actually how I met my fiance. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Can I play ice, a, ice, an audio? What we ice did? bath dating? Wolf, yeah. wolf. Oh, okay. Moo, uh, moo. We have a, a guest of the show, Mark Moser, the announcer for the uh, Colorado Avalanche. I don't know if you guys talked about it on the show, but they had a big loss yesterday. The Arizona Coyotes had a huge comeback against them. I want to play his call of the game-winning goal in overtime with about 20 seconds left. It just came across my feed uh, a few minutes ago, and I just you just have to listen to it. It's a two-on-one. Sucker is in. Dursey tried to give it back. He does save by Georgiev. Loose puck. Score! I can't believe it. Wow. You have got to be kidding me. 
On that play, the Avs fall in overtime to the Coyotes, 5-4. I've seen everything now. Unbelievable. Somebody called it a Jack Edwards-esque call, and I think I agree on that one. Do you like calls like that, like announcers like that? If it's a if it's a clearly not a national game, it's a local game only being broadcast to fans in Denver, do you like when they're, they're homers? The homers? I'm not a homer fan, no. Nor am I. No, I like balance to it. In fact, like as a, as a matter of fact, Shorty will call a Canuck goal on a Canuck broadcast with enthusiasm, but he doesn't just lay off the visitor's call. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll still give you some oomph. And there's some baseball callers, as you know, too. Home team hits a home run. They're they're selling it. The visitors hit a home run. And it's like, yeah, that's a home run. I think there's a way to do it with I the tone. Think of, of I always voice. think of Rabel with the Seahawks. Like he, he sounds visibly annoyed when they score <laughs> yeah. against the Seahawks. Like it's not even like a call at that point. It's like, oh god, they just scored against us. Okay, yeah. Well, I move think, on, move on. I think there's a subtle way to do it with the tone of your voice. I think Shorty does it exceptionally well. I, I'm not the type when I do play by play. I don't want to call out the other team. Like it just seems kind of weird to me. Especially I call a lot of junior games. I don't want to call out you know a bunch of kids on another team. So I just I feel like you can convey a little more excitement when your team scores and then have a little less excitement but still but raise gotta, the tempo a yeah. bit. It also depends what it is. If someone yeah. hits the hits a home run or what or scores the 5-4 game-winning goal for the visitors in triple overtime that wins the Stanley exactly. Cup. I got a home team or not, or I can be disappointed. Through the I, legs goal or something. Yeah, like I, you got to get up for I got to sell it. It's it's a big yeah. moment in a game regardless of who. I got to sell it. There yeah. was a the cuz I'm a Vikings fan, so the Vikings local radio broadcaster Paul Allen um, who a lot of Vikings fans love. I try to listen because sometimes you're in the car, and he is the most homery announcer yeah. I have ever heard. And I just, I, even as a Vikings fan, I'm like, man, I can't mm, get with this. Joe Bowen does exist. The Joe Bowen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we were broadcasting a game here on 650, and Joe Bowen was on the call, and it was like, it was crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, but that's known when you go into a Joe Bowen yeah, game. That's it's his thing. That's it's his fun. thing. Yeah. Uh, Paul Allen's similar, but it, I the. The main grape I have, the, you can be a homer. A grape? But I don't, the main grape? The main grape I have. Yeah. Is that a, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Go, keep going. Alfred loves have. the mind grapes. Uh, <laughs> um, is when the announcer says us or we. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, you're not part of the team. Yeah. yeah. It can slip out now and then, but you're right. In general, it's not a we. You're supposed to be impartial. Quick one here. Uh, Doran from Cumberland says, after all these years, what I've learned is I finally know what the moo cow represents. We're moving on. So if, if you learned anything from today, other than the fact that you should tune in tomorrow, that was it. That's the move cow. Thanks, A-Dog. Thanks, Laddie. Thanks, Josh Elliott, Hyphenated Wolf. Moving on. I'm Brooke Ward. We're back, 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 back tomorrow. Back, 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 back. It is gone. We're back tomorrow at 7 a.m. This is Sportsnet 650.